Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to the Ubuntu Podcast. Welcome all. Thank you so much for tuning in to our first official episode here at the Ubuntu Podcast. Yes, the Ubuntu Podcast. My name is David. Hey, y'all. My name is Dao. How's it going, everyone? My name is Hanok. We have got a great episode lined up for all those listening in the honor of Black History Month. But before we get into our main conversation here, we want to set a few ground rules so that the people can know what to expect. Yes, that's right. The first thing is in order to get the most out of each episode, um, Dow, Hanok, and I really want to start off every episode with a segment called da, 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 Africa in the News. And this segment is going to be focused on highlighting a current event story impacting Africa or African people that we think everyone should know. Though our episodes are going to be full of laughter and many beautiful and thought-provoking moments, we got to make sure that we stay educated. So we're excited to see how our listeners are going to respond to these because we want to make sure that there is a level of um, information that's being gained about what's really happening in the world concerning the diaspora and um, that we're doing the work necessary to really stand in solidarity, right? And so we're really excited to be rolling these out. We're trying to make these lessons accessible, these current event stories really relatable. Um, and yeah, I think with all that being said, Hanok is going to kick us off for our first ever Africa in the News segment. So Hanok, take it away. Thank you both for those really great introductions. Um, as Dao and David have already mentioned, here at the Ubuntu Podcast, we really want to take the time to highlight current events issues and explain why they matter to the African diaspora community. So with all that being said, welcome to Africa in the News. Let's start with something more recent from the United States, the recent travel ban. Mm. So effective February 22nd, the government will extend its original 2018 travel ban to include six new countries. These countries include Nigeria, Eritrea, Kyrgyzstan, Myanmar, also known as Burma, along with Sudan and Tanzania. In addition, we've learned that with these African countries, immigrant visas will be suspended to Eritrea, Nigeria, and Somalia, and only diversity visas will be suspended for Sudan and Tanzania. Why does this matter? Well, a majority of these countries that have been added to the government's travel ban are obviously African. Mm. Nigeria has the, largest Afri- has the largest population in Africa and the largest African diaspora population in the U.S. And I think it's important for us to really understand that there are a lot of factors that cause people to immigrate to the U.S. from these countries. And it's a reminder to us that the diaspora as a whole is actually personally impacted by policy that's prepared from whether it's from the government or from leaders that are in a way disconnected from a lot of our communities. And so even denying something like immigrant visas or diversity visas still impacts a lot of individuals. It impacts a lot of families who are expecting family members to join them in the States even. So it has a big impact um, among all of us, really. And I just want to read a quote from 
uh, Joe Naguse, who is the U.S. representative for Colorado's 2nd District. His parents are actually Eritrean immigrants, and he had this quote about this recent travel ban. He says, As a son of Eritrean refugees, let me be clear. The president's travel ban on African countries contradicts our American values and the promise and refuge our country has offered to immigrants and refugees for centuries. It is unconscionable. It is wrong. And we must oppose it. Powerful words there from Wow. John Naguse. Very powerful. That is my representative right there. Yep, that's right. I just I just want to really quickly respond to the story. I really think there needs to be a conversation that happens around the lack of conversation <laughs> that we encounter and that we experience routinely concerning issues directly impacting the diaspora that parallel issues of earlier circumstances that um, impacted other groups in other regions of the world. And I say that because what I'm thinking about and what my mind goes to outside of the obvious atrocity of what this ban means um, and what Trump has imposed as its latest obstruction of justice is that there was such a heightened concern and level of conversation and level of advocacy around the Muslim ban that we're not really experiencing here and that we're not really witnessing for the African ban. And even though obviously those two are not even... Um, in many ways, they're synonymous because the countries that were banned also host many Muslims. <laughs> um, and so I don't really know why they're framed and coined the way that they are. But um, it felt like there was a greater source of awareness, a greater source of attention and a greater source of sympathy, um, not just by individuals who stay abreast in these kind of issues and speak out and use their platforms, but also by the larger media conglomerates and the larger media outlets as well, which we obviously see as an obvious phenomenon. Anytime there is a particular injustice against Africans, there's violence, there is terrorism, there is a less of a regard and there's less of a concern to... Um, stories pertaining to Africa, um, unless they can be spinned or unless they can be operationalized in a way that contributes to the very narrow telling and the very narrow um, framing of what people say about Africa in the news, what people say about African people in news. And um, it's just very sad. It's very, I am not surprised, but I, I remain disappointed in that. And um, mm -hmm. yeah. It's just like, yeah, how we gather information around Africa, but also what does that mean? How we have uh, normalized, you know, in a way we have just, you know, we're not, we're just kind of like, you know, in the flow of things just with this administration so that true. we see it as normal, but this is not the norm. Yep. It shouldn't be the norm or before we know it, it'll be on our own doorsteps. Hanok, that was an incredible story. Thank you so much. So now we're going to get into our main conversation, and I'm very, very, very excited about it. We are talking about Black History Month. Woo! Yes. 
Yes. So in the U.S., the month of February is Black History Month. And as the three of us were reflecting on our Black History Month experiences, we came to the conclusion and we really recognized that all across the country, you know, we hope that there are children sitting in classrooms getting their first collective understanding of Black History Month. And what that means for people who have lived in the U.S. and in the world overall without white skin. And for a child, that process might be disillusioning, perplexing, exciting, for us, traumatizing. <laughs> and um, for the three of us, we were all being Black and have been through, at some point in time, traditional grade school and classroom learning about being Black in the U.S. Um, and we imagine many of our listeners have. And so... With thinking about that and thinking about how that has shaped our life, the learning we've we've experienced as a child, um, the first question I'm posing out to the group is, what were the first things that you learned about Blackness, about your Blackness? When did it click and how, <laughs> how did you feel about that? Yeah, I'd say for me, hmm. So for me, just for for some context, I was born in D.C., but I didn't go to school in D.C. because I moved right by the time I had to start. Uh, So I went to preschool in Montgomery County, grew up in Silver Spring. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I remember, I remember third grade. This is a very kind of random story, but I remember in third grade, we filled out some sort of survey. And then at the end of the survey, there was a question about your ethnicity. And then I remember for some reason looking at it and getting confused because the Mm. options said, I think it was like Hispanic, um, black slash African-American and then a white. And for some reason, I just couldn't figure out. I think a lot of it had to do with just like I grew up knowing that like I was Ethiopian, for instance, even though I was born here. That's right. So like my parents were Ethiopian. And like, I knew my complexion, but for some reason, it's like, now it sounds kind of ridiculous, but for some reason it didn't like connect that I would then be like black. So I was looking at the survey and I remember just thinking like, I don't know what to fill out and stuff. Like I'm, I'm African, but I don't know if I'm African. Yeah. And I think I I did, there was a, there was like the bubble that said other and I filled that out. (laughs) But then I remember going home and bringing it up. And my parents were like, no, you should have filled out the black and African-American section. Why would you fill yeah. out other? And that, <laughs> I think, kind of, and that's what made me think, wait, oh, wow, that's what I am. Mm-hmm. And like, it sounds silly now. And I think, I think my understanding of it probably wasn't what others thought the same. I think somebody in those same shoes who was equipping probably would have just filled out black. And I, I think it was just, I guess, the way my thought process was working at the time but i remember that being like one of my first sort of kind of introductions into like race especially race in the u.s and what that looks like for us and kind of how we fit within those structures that are set for us and then i remember in the fourth grade getting really into u.s history into social studies and i remember when we were learning about um just yeah i just remember I remember like I had a really good teacher, but I remember learning about just we learned about segregation, Jim Crow, and then mm. we watched a video 
um, that use like it wasn't the N word, but it was like the Negro oh, in it. Oh Lord! I remember when the word was said, like all the kids in the classroom just like freaked out. They're like, "Why you can't say that word and stuff?" And I think that's my first time that I heard the word. And then, <laughs> I was like, "What does this mean?" And it was so interesting because like I was born here, grew up here, but this is all new to me now, and I'm still learning about it. And I remember back then, for some reason, knowing, like, I learned about segregation. I learned about Jim Crow, even as, like, a nine-year-old. And then I also mm-hmm. learned about the, you know, the, the pilgrims that came here and the whole independence kind of, the whole war of independence and all of the Revolutionary Shame. War. And I remember Shame. learning about both and getting really excited to learn about both. For some reason, mm-hmm. I didn't really connect the two. So Neither did they, huh? I didn't think about, like, yeah. I didn't, I didn't think about slavery and I didn't think about how the settlers were, how they held slaves and how they were connected with it. I didn't understand <laughs> the connection between the two for some reason. So that's, huh. I guess, in a nutshell. Wow. So let's see. Um, the first time I actually learned about my blackness or being black. Um, okay, so... It wasn't the first time I imagined there were definitely other times before, right? But, um, okay, so I'm going to give some context. So I grew up in Los Angeles. I grew up in L.A., but I grew up in South L.A. And so South L.A., as it stands, is like over 70% Latinx, but Los Angeles and South L.A. is no different than this, is an incredibly segregated city. And to the point where... I had no idea that South LA was that. Um, I didn't have, I thought South LA was honestly all black. <laughs> I mean, everyone I went to school with was black. Everyone I went to church with was black. Everyone in my grocery stores were black. Um, you know, I had a very black upbringing. And so I knew at a young age, like, that there was a reason that I lived with people who looked like me and that there were other people who didn't look like me, but we didn't live together. And, you know, whether that was white people or other races and that, you know, everyone around me looked like me and that was by design. And so I kind of had a, like a understanding slightly of that, of an enclave and that of a group, like as race, as an identity. Um, but the first actual learnings about being Black and this history, I remember specifically in fourth grade, and um, I had a teacher, I will never forget this. Her name is Selena Gray. Miss Gray, if you are listening to this, thank you, but also you you scarred me. <laughs> um, this was a woman who was absolutely convinced that, um, rightfully so, that the education system was not going to teach Black students, the Black students at the school, the real truth around the history of this country. And so she made it her personal mission to ensure that we, at the tender ages of 9 and 10, knew in stunning detail just who we were and how we got here as a people. And so I remember her, I can remember the the picture of her when we got to the section that she was about to teach us about being Black, her take the textbook that we learned with and walking to the trash can 
and throwing it away as a violent demonstration that our history has been lied to us. And she literally made us, she, she, this is no lie. She re-simulated the middle passage and she made all of us get on the ground and snuggle up close to each other. And she would bang loudly on the drawers and the desks and she turned off the lights and she played in the speakers wailing music and the sounds of chains and washing wishy water. And it was just, <laughs> she screamed at us and she, she told us, to tell her our names and we would tell her and she would yell at us and say, no, that's not your name anymore. That's your slave name. And um, it was terrifying. <laughs> and so at that moment, I knew then, ah, I'm Black. <laughs> and this is what being Black means. And I was not, to be quite honest, I was not happy about it. I came home and I told my mom, I said, you've got some explaining to do because if this is what it means to be Black and this is how we got here, I don't know how I'm supposed to accept or live with this. Like, real talk. What a, what a story. My, my experience is a little bit different from, from both of y'all. Uh, I, I, was born in, I was born then, Sudan, when it was one country. Uh, so I was born in Africa, East Africa. Uh, I grew up in Kenya, uh, but I always my 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 parents always made sure to teach me the history of my country. Uh, my grandfather, especially my grandfather, who's a historian. So, for those of you out there, Sudan means land of the blacks, and so I always it's just it's just like my people are very proud of their blackness. So true. Uh, and so for from my family side, they're really really proud of their blackness. It's just like land of the blacks. You're black. And so for me, the first time dealing with the idea of blackness and just exploring it was when I was in Kenya. And so I was in Kenya. It was in the refugee camp. So there were nationalities from different countries. So Ethiopians, Somalis, Kenyans, uh, people from Burundi and Rwanda and Uganda. And so that was the kind of like the first time just seeing, I think, different shades of blackness. So it was just like for me, it was the first time seeing just like a thousand shades of blackness. Uh-huh. Because everybody from my home region and just like my village is just like, we're nilotic. And so our shade is black deep. And so it was completely different from Bantu or Kushnites who have different shades of blackness. Uh, and so that was the idea. It was like, it was like just learning from others. It's like, yeah, we're all Africans. We're all black. It was just like learning from that. And then coming to the U.S. was a whole different story. Uh, yep. So it was like the first time it's just like playing with kids and kids saying, hey, you're black. I was like, yeah, I know. I come from wow. the land of the blacks. It was just like kind of the idea. It was just like, I, 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 it was just like, it was the first time being introduced to race in America, you yeah. know, as compared to Africa with different ethnicity. And so, so being introduced to race in America was a whole different ordeal. And uh, how did I fit into this? Uh, and so it was just like first, first time learning about, I think, slavery in America. It was just like, for me, it was just like, wow. It, it was, it was definitely, it was, it was traumatizing. It was just like, I was like, I, no, for real. It was just like, I thought like every black person just came to America like like my family did being a child. But that was not the case once you learn about s- slavery, uh, segregation, uh, and just how did black people fit in America and how did they became to be. And so it just completely changed my whole view of just race. Uh, because as a kid, you're naive. You're just like, oh, we're people, you know, but there's nothing you think of it. But it's just the world, the world, you know, 
it wakes you up really quickly. Uh, and so it, it's just like race in America is completely different than ethnicity in Africa. And so, uh, yeah, I always, I always knew I was black and it was just like knowing now that I'm black in America and my place in it was just a whole different ordeal. And I think a lot of African deal with that when they come to America, they're like, Oh, because like Hinnock said, Oh, I'm Ethiopian. Oh, I'm Sudanese. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm Kenyan. We don't say, Oh, I'm black. You know, when we go back home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you guys. It's a really complex issue. Just want to continue this discussion by asking what's one thing that you remember being miseducated about and how was that process of unlearning? And do you guys still feel like you fall short of that? Uh, I, th- I, th- I think one thing being miseducated on is it's, it's definitely uh, when you when we're learning history of the United States is that all men are created equally. Uh, that that in itself, when looking at history and at that time, it's just like that did not include black people or people of color or women to be to be frank. And so, just learning about U.S. history, as especially the Constitution, that that part right there, it was just it was just a big a big it just a big slap in the face once you learn just. It, it just go die, die deep in the depth of it and what it meant to us as black people and our story within it. That, that, that took, that took a long time. You know, it was just like, it was just like to kind of, to kind of like, was like, Whoa, okay. That, that didn't include me. You know, it was just like, you, you, until you get older, you understand better. But as a kid, you like, Oh, we were all created equally. You know, you didn't think much of it until you learned true history of what's behind it. And that's a myth that still is here to this day. You know, a lot of people still have that myth. Yeah. Wow. This is such a good question. Um, I think for me, one thing that I really find more and more each day that I was pretty, pretty miseducated about was the reality that the history of African-Americans did not begin in America. (laughs) And, um, that there is a long, long history, centuries and millennials prior to Jamestown 1619 that really defined our existence back in the continent of Africa. When we don't really consider or really intentionally connect what it means to be an African-American with our African roots and that there are already so many powerful and prominent connections between the culture that we have created and refined here in America back to the cultural rich traditions and heritage in Africa. I'm talking about like how we how we created like ideas around community and sense of um, ownership and um, identity was collective and um, not individualistic. And those things have like remained and persisted in our DNA. And honestly, we can't really talk about the history of black people in this country because history of the black people without talking about Africa and our African roots, because the history of black people in this country to me is the history of resistance, the history of defining who we are on our own terms and not 
always accepting or finding ways to subjugate the powers of white supremacist culture by making sure that who we are and our roots, which means our culture, which means our our practices, which means our ways of doing things stemming from Africa, stemming from those systems and cultures remained evident through our everyday lives, our everyday culture, through the art we created, the the, the families we made, the communities we, we built from scratch. It's the, it's the patterns that really add substance to who we are and really elongate our understanding of what it means to be an African-American. It's like I have all of these really rich cultural traditions and cultural fusions that emanate from being in this country. But before that, there was another history that we also, we leveraged and we used to, to stay as beautiful and as talented and as um, effervescent and as um, resilient as we are. And so I want to continue as a emerging Pan-Africanist to learn and to grow and to share that information with other people. So yeah, that's, that's me. Those are both really great points. I think for me, I just noticed that there were so many gaps in the th- gaps and inconsistencies in what I was learning. Um, I definitely, I think, respect and really do appreciate the educators that were in my life. And I think, for me at least, that I just couldn't connect the dots. Oddly enough. And so I still feel like I have a lot of unlearning to do, for sure. And there's still a lot that I don't know. I think in particular with, for example, like the Constitution, you guys have already mentioned this, but with the Constitution where it talks about, you know, the, you know, liberty and justice for everyone, you know, who does that, who does that apply to? It only applies to a certain demographic. These are all things that, like, I remember learning about and thinking that it applied to me, Mm -hmm. but then if taken holistically with the history of black people in this country with the African diaspora, with immigrants as a whole, it doesn't connect. It's not consistent. It There are some glaring mm-hmm. inconsistencies, like shocking inconsistencies that we all learn about and we don't really kind of fully process. So I definitely have a lot to learn. And I think it's just those inconsistencies and that inability to really connect the different parts of our history. That was, I think, the biggest thing that I was miseducated about and that's a powerful take and the thing is we're all still learning right it's just like all of us it's a lot of unlearning to do and it's 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 a journey it's powerful but it's also at the same time it's also it's just like to, to be frank with you it, it's sad you know because we're never taught this because it is our history but nobody ever takes the time to teach it to us unless it's our parents or you know, our mentors that we know that's, or we go out of our own way to learn it. Right. And so it is, it's a journey and, and it's just, it's just, it's a journey. It's once you get to there's, but once you get to a place where you feel like, you know, you're like, wow, I, I made it. It's, it's, it's a uh, worth it. It's, it's definitely, it's a, uh, you feel delivered. If I may say you feel delivered. You're like, yeah, I, I made it. Wow. This has been a really great level of conversation and um, I'm going to end the conversation with our final question, our final really set of questions. And so both to our audience, take these with you, talk about these with your family and friends, but Dow and Hanok, you're going to talk about these with me right now. Um, thinking about all that we've shared, how we've connected our experiences growing up, learning about Blackness from all these different perspectives and vantage points, right, to the story of um, the nation and 
I want to ask, ultimately, what do you think is the state of, I put in quotes, Black history in education? And do you think that schools are equipped to carry, educate, and even nurture Black children? No, <laughs> that's powerful. Uh, the state of Black history in education. The state <laughs> Black history is never fully taught. Uh, the, the thing about Black history in, the, in education is that we're just always just feed bits there. Just pieces and bits there. Oh, it's sure. just like it's MLK, it's Rosa Parks, love them to death. Uh, but that is not black black history in itself. It's not individuals. Black history is a collective. It's a community. Absolutely. It's us who breathe and live black history uh, that started thousands of years before us and will be here thousands of years after us. And so a black history in education is never, it's never fully taught in the United States uh, just because it goes, it goes against everything the institution says yep. and does. Uh, because the black history is fully taught, to be frank with y'all, the, the, the society as a whole would not be treating black people the way it does sometimes. Mm. Uh, you know, like black innovations, you know, things you use daily that you don't even think of, you know, that black people created elevator, stoplights, you know, uh, peanut butter and jelly, you know, coffee created by, black, you know, these are things that were made and created by black people. And so black people made such, these great things, just to name a few, you would not, you would not think of black people as such. Uh, if Black history mm. is, is taught to its depth in education. Definitely, definitely. I would say that there just needs to be a holistic understanding of Black history. Educators need to have a more complete curriculum, for sure. And there are resources now just to even talk to kids about race. There's uh, there's an academic by the name of Jamar Tisby. He has, uh, yeah, he has his own podcast called Pass the Mic, but then he also has um, a video series called homeschool there's a video that that's titled how to talk to kids about race i highly recommend it i think it's a great you know resource to have so it's possible there's a way to educate children there's a way for educators to be mindful of you know the the heaviness of black history and and what you're teaching so there's definitely you know there's there's a method in which this can be done that's effective and that also respects you know the well-being of the children that you're working with and that also doesn't you know inflict more trauma on you know people of color mm. in particular okay Whew, yeah i in all honesty to you all's point it's like i don't i think the state of black education in schools is just it's in peril i think um our schools not only Mm -hmm. are not equipped, not only are not designed, not only are not constructed to care and to support Black children, I think many of them, our history has shown us, has um, were literally created and conceived to do the opposite, to institutionalize Black children, to colonize Black children, to decimate the identity, to divide, to... um, to mortify black children and um and i think the public education system one of its most pervasing and long-lasting legacies will be that it was literally morphed throughout history through the supreme court and through multiple different legislative processes as a battleground in which to deny black children and to deny the experience of black people in this country their fundamental rights and that history and the resounding impact of what that means on the trajectories of black people black families black communities 
with education as the cornerstone of America's failure towards Black people as a whole exactly. rings true. Um, so not only do we have Black schools that uh, that are primarily responsible for educating Black children, like they're all segregated, you know, Black kids go to the same schools, they all go to the same failing schools, the same underfunded schools, the same disinvested schools. So those schools, by nature of their political disposition are not equipped to do much of anything for anybody. And then beyond that, you have schools and the and the sense of a curriculum that is literally designed and literally charged to make sure that Black students fail within a country that is literally designed and literally charged to make sure Black children fail and to make sure Black children are um, adultified, that they are demonized, that they are vilified, they are taught of the ways of um, being institutionalized into prison and into labor. And um, I see where you're coming from there. You know, they're they're literally not for us, these schools, these systems. And um, yeah, I... I believe the country as a whole, unfortunately, has such little regard for Black life and for Black life of children and youth. We've seen that, unfortunately, through a variety of ways um, that people don't care about Black children. And I think what rings true in all of our stories at the core of trying to reckon what it means to be Black and um, as a young child in this this country, no matter where we came from first, there is a moment, there is a there is a clicking that says, wow, I'm Black and there is something the world holds against me because of that. And like, how do you process that? And how do you, um, how do you make a life out of that, that reality and that revelation? And so um, I will say, I really do appreciate the folks and the institutions and the, the 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 organizations that recognize and acknowledge that there is simply a level of learning about one's history and about um, one's contribution to this country and to their community that will never be done by schools and that they take it into their own hands to do education. Um, kind of how Hinnock was referring to the Jamar Tisbees and the folks who really use their platforms and who create avenues and products and um, spaces to educate Black children and to ed- educate Black communities um, and to bring them into that education and to help them lead that education with others as a way to build community and to, and to document real life history. I think it's incredible. I think one of the most underutilized, but to me, it's exciting that it's becoming a, a fastly growing opportunity to learn and to document our histories, our museums. There's some all over the world, all over the country, you know? Exactly. And um, we need to utilize apps. Um, platforms and mediums like those um, that we can build consensus and we can build a real story and a real voice around and we can do the level of education that, you know, our schools and that our education system simply will not do. Great point right there. And awesome. And so, yeah. And uh, with all that being said, it's been great talking to you all today. I, I agree. Yeah. It's been awesome. Yep. Just a reminder to everyone out there, you can get more information on the topics discussed today, such as the Africa Travel Ban, um, with links that we're going to provide in the episode description comment on Apple Podcasts, as well as linked on our social media. So stay tuned to the, for the end of the episode to get those deeds. All right. 
Okay. All right. So before we officially close, like for real, for real, y'all, um, we recognize that we got Valentine's Day here, right? Yes. Valentine's Day is the time of love. And, you know, in that spirit of love, we want to quickly close with shouting out someone in our life who has inspired us. And we recognize for many folks, Valentine's Day is not about celebrating romance for for you know, per se, but it's about really thinking who has in my life played an impact or played a major role, you know, when it comes to love and when it comes to what I think about with love and my experience with love, the good, the bad and the ugly. But right now we want to honor some good. Right. And so um, I'm going to pose this question to my co-host, Dow and to Hinnock and on our Valentine's Day. Tell me this. Who is someone who has inspired you to love yourself and other Black or African people, and how? Wow, uh, that's the, the question itself is is wow. It's deep, but it's also Yo. beautiful. Uh, uh, love in itself does not have to be, you know, your significant other. You know, it's love your brother, your sister, your neighbors, community, uh, and yourself. Uh, uh, for me, the person that inspired me to love myself uh, and to love Black people and Africa was Nelson Mandela. It's just his story since I was a kid. It's just like just the story of just just truly is, is, is inspirational. Uh, reading his book when I was in sixth grade, uh, just the long walk to freedom, doing projects and posters on him. It's just mm. him talking about, you know, the emancipation, you know, of, you know, of South Africa, of Africa, mm, you know, okay. from a perspective of, you know, uh, liberating ourselves mentally and physically and economically uh, from, you know, the legacy of colonizations in Africa. It's, it's just in itself, it's just, it's powerful. And just to how he came out from the prison, you know, from prison after literally three decades, almost three decades, uh, not being bitter, you know, uh, but also coming out just, just the idea of just loving oneself and his people, uh, having a bigger goal in mind that this was not about him. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, that's who taught me to love myself and love black people to, to the fullest. That, that's awesome though. I think Nelson Mandela, man, he played such a big role in our lives. Like I remember as a kid, just learning about him and understanding his story and his role that he played in South Africa. Just the example that is set really for the continent and for the rest of the world when it comes to fighting injustice and fighting oppression, really. I'd say for me, I know that this is a common one. It's a very common one and it gets very, you know, it gets misused by a lot of people and it can get weaponized at times too. But I think the example that MLK said is just so important. Just when I think of Black History Month, and in particular when I think about civil disobedience and the concept that he had of disobeying laws that were unjust and how it's our moral responsibility and how it's it's our burden to love other people, to fight for the truth, to fight what's to fight for what's just. And just that story and seeing how the example that he set, the impact that he played in the civil rights movement in this country, just see how globally it really expanded and how people are 
you know that they're learning even to this day they're they're using his his um they're using you know the work that he did they're they're learning from this, the whole civil rights movement not just from him but from everyone that was involved people that we don't you know that don't often get recognized as much i think the example that he says and just so important um you see like politicians like people that fight for justice around the world even in africa they use mlk's just his speeches and his just his ideology to really impact the societies that they live in and that's a testament to just how important it was and how important love is in any part of the world um love that's not you know this is not coming from the perspective of you know saying that we have to like not stand up for justice or you know how we often see mlk's quotes being used against communities of color but i'm not speaking of it in that context i'm definitely speaking of it from the context of how can we fight for love in a way that provides justice for all those are great responses um yeah for me i'm actually going to take it in a slightly different direction than what you two talked about um when I thought of this answer, the person who really came to mind for who I want to honor are both of my grandmothers. Um, I think more than anyone that I've ever encountered, both in real life or that I've ever learned of, they embody to me what it means to be a Black woman whose entire life um is a product of sacrifice and it's a product of um, giving and the, the details of the lives that made it possible for me to be who I am. I think beyond the individual point of that, I think about them in the context of what this country has amassed to at the direct result of the labor um, physically, sexually, emotionally, socially of Black women. Um, and what that has, the kind of currency, you know, and all the ways that you can interpret that, that Black women and the love that they have produced and the love that they have lived with, the love that they have shared has created for all of us. (laughs) Literally, we are the seed of a Black woman's love, everything that you see. And um, my Black grandmothers, both of them, Funny enough, they did not know each other growing up, but they met in high school, which is crazy because they both started their lives in Texas. Both were essentially sharecroppers and um, found their ways to Los Angeles as young girls, um, a part of the story of the Great Migration, right? When I look at who they are and I look at the the circumstances they've experienced and the obstacles they've, over- they've overcome um, to really live purposeful lives and to raise beautiful families. They teach me what it means to, they teach me what Black love is. They teach me what Black excellence is. They teach me what it means to um, not let being Black or anything else, you know, be a barrier to you. And though they were never, they've never sat me down and said, you know, David, be proud of your race. David, love yourself because you're Black. But they showed it to me every single time I was around them. These are women that they endured the harsh reality of Jim Crow as children. I mean, they picked cotton and they've gone on to 
to, to change history. I mean, these grandma, my grandmothers have been in newspapers. They have um, owned businesses. They have done amazing things and they have raised children who love themselves and their children raised me. And I love myself. And one of the cornerstones of that is being Black. I love being Black and I love who I am. And I think that that would be impossible without who they are. And so I want to thank them sincerely for that. I really hope they hear this. In fact, I will make sure they hear this. And um, yeah, that is, that's who I'm honoring for Valentine's Day. Wow. Okay. All right. Thank you so much to our entire audience for listening today. Remember to share, share, share with a friend. We are starting off and this is the end of our first official full length episode. Yes, we're so excited to have you here as a part of the Ubuntu podcast family. This is a podcast for everyone to learn, to laugh, to encourage each other and to hold each other a little bit more tightly. Okay. And so without further ado, thank you all. Peace out. Bye bye. Hey everyone, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Ubuntu Pod and on Facebook at The Ubuntu Podcast. Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe. You can listen to us on both Apple and Spotify as well. You can also follow me directly on Instagram at Henny Yilma, H-E-N-I-Y-I-L-M-A. Hey y'all, it's Dow. Don't forget to follow me on IG. So it's Dow underscore dull dull. Hey everyone, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at David J-A-Y Curtis with two S's. Thank you.
Thank you all. Bye-bye.